when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. This podcast contains explicit language. So that happened. This week, Pope Francis is in town, driving around in his fiat, paying President Obama a visit, and taking his act to a joint session of Congress for a round of grand master-level thought leadering. Much of the focus in the lead-up to his D.C. visit concerned what he's had to say lately on the environment and on immigration. We'll talk about what he said to lawmakers and the extent to which he might change people's thinking on those issues. Meanwhile, politicians, man, they just want to rock! But what happens when the artists that write and perform their favorite songs find out that their work is being played at political rallies? Lately, in the case of some Republican presidential hopefuls, it has not been ending well. Joining us to offer his perspective and insight is musician and songwriter Ted Leo. Finally, one person who won't have to worry about the songs being played at his political rallies is Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker, who this week announced that he was quitting the presidential race after 70 days. 70 days, man! Even Tim Pawlenty made it two more weeks. So what went wrong besides basically everything? I'm Jason Lincolns with the Huffington Post reporters Arthur Delaney, Elise Foley, Kate Shepard, and Lauren Weber. And here's what happened first. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to So That Happened. Uh, Welcome back. I mean, welcome to the beginning of So That Happened, which I've already ruined. Oh, man. Yeah. (laughs) My name is Jason Liggins. I'm the editor of Eat the Press at the Huffington Post. And joining me this week, we're so happy. We have our regular brother in arms. It's me, Arthur Delaney. Arthur Delaney. Uh, Zach Carter is not here. He is in Rome. We actually facilitated an, a unique exchange program with uh, with Italy. We sent Zach Carter to Italy, and Italy sent us this dude, Francis, who's been palling around in Fiat all week long, uh, wearing a weird dress and weird hat. And similar to Zach, really. Similar to Zach. <laughs> Zach wears tight you jeans. almost don't notice the difference. <laughs> um, so sitting in Zach's place, you've already heard is uh elise foley funny woman elise foley she's looking at me <laughs> yes hello very well, stressed thank out thank you for having me very stressed out it's a lot of pressure why is that a lot of pressure to be funny this whole time you are one of the most hilarious people i know this is just fact just fact follow elise on twitter you'll learn you'll learn and uh elise you're here because actually the this this exchange program is quite significant the francis we were speaking of in case there's one person out there who didn't get the illusion, is uh, Pope Francis. It's the Pope. Yep. The dude who runs the Holy See. Uh, and he's in town, and one of his focuses has been this week on immigration, and, and, and both, both here in the United States and abroad, the ongoing refugee crisis in Syria. Um, at least, why don't you take us through uh, the kind of influence that uh, Pope Francis is hoping to have Yeah, absolutely. So you've already seen this abroad. He's already urged 
Catholic churches, parishes, monasteries, et cetera, in Europe to take in at least one refugee family, you know, potentially more. And so the hope is that given how many of those there are, that that could, you know, affect a huge number of people. In the U.S., you have the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops that's very supportive of bringing in more refugees. They work on refugee resettlement. They think that there should be 100,000 refugees plus 100,000 more Syrians next year, which is just a huge, huge number beyond what even the administration is proposing. So, um, you know, I I think what the Pope would probably um, hope to do in terms of refugees is sort of build this idea, and this is something he talked about today, that people shouldn't be daunted by this, oh my gosh, there's so much need, um, question, and then instead should look at this and see some needs for compassion and say, you know, we should do more, we should help people more. Um, And that's something that, you know, is going to be kind of a debate in Congress, I think. So him saying that directly to members of Congress is pretty important. This this crisis right now, ongoing in Syria, the refugee crisis. I mean, we've we've all seen uh, war devastate populations and people flee uh, war zones. What's different about this one? Is it that we noticed it finally something happening like this, or is this by some order of magnitude a different, worse crisis, both in Syria and, and out? Well, uh, the Pope said today and others have said that this is the biggest crisis um, since World War II. Uh, There are 4 million Syrian refugees outside of Syria, 7.6 million people inside the country who are displaced. So it is just a really massive thing. And then on top of that, you have a lot of refugees from elsewhere as well who are sort of joining in and also trying to go to Europe. So I think it, it is catching people's attention because it is a really big problem and because there have just been these images that are so these videos and photos that are so heartbreaking that make people think uh, oh my god this is going on in a way that you know sometimes these other things just aren't covered and don't get that level of attention well the pope said in his address to congress on thursday that we're in a time of increasing violence and brutality which is not actually true if you're looking at the scale of global conflict it's gone down Steadily, but we do. This is a new thing. Hundreds of thousands of people streaming out of Syria and other countries in the Middle East that we smashed and haven't been put back together. And we've also it, it's happening at the same time as we have our own immigration debate that is largely focused on Mexico and Latin America. Yeah, and one of the things that you know that he talked about in his speech is he put together this idea of refugees with people who are coming across the southwest border from Mexico and Central America, and that's something he's talked about before. So, you know, you have some people who are very happy to help refugees but are not so pleased with the idea of, um, you know, a a bunch of people coming and crossing the border illegally. Migrants. Yeah, and clearly Pope Francis sees those as something similar. There are a lot of people who are coming here and claiming asylum, so they're not getting refugee status from outside the states, but they are, you know, getting asylum when they're here. And he put those two things together. He said that we need to show compassion both for these people coming from Mexico, from Central America, and we need to show compassion for people um, far away. And I think that both of those things are things that you don't necessarily see 
here um, in the U.S. from from some people. Well, people don't pay a lot of attention to the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, even though it's been saying this stuff all along. And when you think of religious figures, you associate them with the Republican Party typically. But it sounded like the Pope this week was straightforwardly endorsing a more democratic agenda with regard to immigration, immigration reform. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you see that uh, you see that a lot. There are all sorts of religious groups that, you know, the the Southern Baptists and stuff talking about immigration reform. There's a lot of religious support for immigration reform even though that's seen as sort of a Republican issue and or Republicans generally opposed and that, you know, religious people are Republican. I I think that a lot of this stuff sort of crosses religious things kind of cross party lines. He talked about the golden rule, um, got a lot of applause for that. And I think that that's something that, you know, shouldn't necessarily be seen as a Democratic thing or Republican thing. I mean, you know, you can't really say, oh, Republicans have the monopoly on caring about other people. And you can't say Democrats have that. So I think that that's um, sort of one of his issues that, yeah, the policies he's talking about align more with um, Democratic policies. Yeah, our, our reporter who was in fit the with religious ones. Our reporter in the House chamber, Laura Baron Lopez, said it was Democrats who initiated almost all the applause. But you know, it's funny. I, w- I would say that we're just sort of years of years ago. The Republicans, I think, would have been right in line with what uh, Pope Francis is having to say about immigration. He said he wants any policy focusing on immigration to be, quote, uh, humane, just, and fraternal. Not four years ago. Well, yeah, about four years ago. four years ago. Rick Perry at the then 2012 Republican debates explained what he did in his state with immigration. He's a border state and the policies he enacted. And he made a point that it was – Humane, that it, and, and he tried to be just. I don't know if he tried to be fraternal, but <laughs> probably probably close. And uh, I, th- I think Perry, when he when he talked about uh, his immigration policies, he expected to get respect for the fact that he was a Republican governor. Typically, they get respect from their party, who created solutions without regard to ideology politics. Instead, on that stage, he got his teeth kicked in repeatedly by 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 um by his colleagues. And then you go back, George Bush, George W. Bush also talked about humane uh immigration reform. What how have they drifted so far? I feel like they used every to be, time I'm on, I feel like they kind of maybe <laughs> so, but I feel but it's important. I feel no, I, it is. Yeah. I feel I feel like the Republican Party was at one time Visionary leaders on comprehensive immigration reform, and they've sort of forsaken that. I'm always wondering why. I mean, I I cannot necessarily say for certain. I think that part of it is that it is a good issue for riling up people to say that immigrants are coming and taking jobs, immigrants are coming and taking social services. If we let more refugees in, they might go on to be terrorists. All of these things are things that get people pretty agitated and excited. That's the weirdest one. You would think that coming to America, you'd have the confidence in America that anyone coming here would be like, damn, this place is dope. I don't want to be a terrorist in this joint. Like, it's incredible. I, mean, all, I, I was talking, I was asking McCain about this the other day, and he was saying that if he was the head of ISIS, he would be 
telling his his boys like you know blend in as refugees and then maybe you can make it over to the states and it's like that is the slowest plan a plan plan would take forever like there's got to be not giving tips to terrorists but there's got to be a faster way if only your 18 to 24 months to get screened I mean, if only it was it was last year that people that people were warning, oh, some of these terrorists might catch Ebola and come over. Oh, yeah, that was a good one. I blocked that out of my memory. So convoluted. So many steps along the way. Things could go wrong. And and aside from the fact that. I mean, you might die. You're armed with Ebola. You have to literally convince people to wade around in your shit and puke. That is like a weird terrorist plot. Yeah, we're gonna. You're gonna have to cross four borders and carry a disease into the country. And once you're there, you're gonna need to bleed and shit everywhere and convince thousands of Americans to like party in your poop. Oh, and that's the terrorist really plot. Upsetting. Crazy. All right, <laughs> we this, have one of those warnings at the beginning of the podcast. We're, we're coming up on the anniversary of when people were actually saying yeah. this. It feels like it was a long time ago, but it was just yesterday. We're in the age of Trump. Yep. And yep. and a year from now this will feel as ridiculous as the Ebola poop yeah. party does now. But it, it, I don't know. This this comes up kind of over and over. I don't know if it'll uh, I mean, this is this is not really a new claim that, you know, you might let people in who might go on to be terrorists. You're right. This time next year, we'll be in the midst of construction of a 2,000-mile-long border wall. That the greatest correct. concrete the, the project. The most beautiful border wall. The most beautiful <laughs> wall. It's so classy. More concrete than would have gone in the Great <laughs> Pyramid of Giza. Uh, uh, an engineering feat unrivaled since the Great Wall of China. On our southern border. Yep, and somehow, I guess I'm going to pay for all that. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't figured that out yet. Uh, okay, I promise not to ask you that question again if you don't want me it's to. It's okay. I just, <laughs> it's, it's a tough question to answer. Yeah. I mean, well, one thing I think um, is sort of interesting is with, with the Pope is that I feel like the message in terms of him saying, you know, don't be overwhelmed by their numbers, look at them as human beings, is sort of don't make excuses for the fact that the U.S., oh, the U.S., we don't have the money, we don't have this, we don't have that, because, you know, I think the point is, okay, you're doing better than them, so why don't you do what you can to help? Um, He didn't say it like that, but I I think that that's something that we'll see if that resonates with anybody. I don't know if it will. Do you think the Pope advocating climate change and immigration reform will move the needle. No, not necessarily. Jeff Sessions, the senator, um, has already said he does not think he will change his mind on immigration. So... All right. He's one of the hardcore. It's tough. It's a tough room, Pope. It's a good, tough room. Good try, Pope. It's a tough room. But we'll we take Zach it. back now. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. 
Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. And we're back. We're back with Arthur Delaney, uh, who's here. Hi. And very excited uh, about our guest today, who needs an introduction because he's one of the most accomplished people we've ever had on the show. Our guest today hails from the great state of New Jersey. Radio and podcast fans have heard him on Tom Sharpling's The Best Show on WFMU and on Julie Klausner's podcast, How Was Your Week?, but he's probably best known as a musician and songwriter, most recently as one half of the Both with Amy Mann, and most notably as the front man of Ted Leo and the Pharmacists. Please welcome, welcome Ted Leo to the show. Yay. Hi. It would be funny if I wasn't the front man of Ted Leo. It would be funny. <laughs> <laughs> if it was just the, it was the Pharmacists. And they just really like yeah. this guy named Ted Leo who's hanging right. around. You were like really the, the Bez of Ted Leo and the Pharmacist. Or like you know, ex ex uh, members, you know, like thirty years down the line, like uh, Dave Dave Learners, Ted Leo and the Pharmacist, featuring James Candy. <laughs> well, that's what it's like with like Ruth's Chris Steakhouse, right? Exactly. Why does yeah. Ruth own Chris? I recently looked that up. <laughs> I actually did. You know the story? Uh, don't tell me there's an answer. There is. Yeah, there's, there was a steakhouse in New Orleans that was like the Chris. Steakhouse or something, and eventually Ruth bought it. That's literally what happened. <laughs> That's so annoying. It's Change true, it. and it's the most difficult <laughs> names to say. I know. I know. <laughs> Ruth wanted to make sure she was putting her stamp on it too. Chris yeah, got owned. You know, I understand if like locally the Chris Steakhouse was a big deal, and you didn't want you know like screw the brand by by losing the Chris name. But once you once you go national, I think you you could probably you, Ruth could probably have let that go. Ruth was ruthless, but the name should be. One day Halliburton will buy it all and it will be Halliburton's Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. <laughs> and that that's kind of a, 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 a the idea of like weird ownership is one of the reasons we 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 wanted to have you on the show. Uh Ted is that there has recently been this kind of surge in because it's a presidential campaign, I feel, but it's not all happening in a presidential campaign of um, politicians ending up crosswise with musicians because of their love of those musician songs 
maybe maybe not the love, but the use of. Uh, We've recently had um, uh, Neil Young come to come to verbal blows with Donald Trump over the use of rocking in the free world. REM also mad at Donald Trump and Ted Cruz for using it's the end of the world as we know it. Uh, Kim Davis, the the lady who doesn't want anyone to get married, she used Survivor's Eye of the Tiger. Right. Uh, they'd, already, they'd, already had, uh, they'd already stopped somebody in the last election cycle from using Eye of the Tiger, I think. To- yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's weird how every election cycle this comes up. And, and for a long time, Bobby McFerrin objected to George H.W. Oh Bush using yeah. Don't Worry, Be Happy. There's a lot to unpack with that one. Take, a, <laughs> take us inside the mind of a musician who's, who, who's in this situation. Um, w- well, yeah, I mean, you know, I've never personally been in this situation, <laughs> but, uh, but I, you know, I can certainly imagine a number of things. I mean, I'll say this, um, whatever your personal political beliefs are, I think sometimes, you know, you, you, in the same vein that, you know, a lot of people don't want their music used in commercials, for example, you, you right. don't, you don't want this piece of, of, uh, of your soul, you know, this piece of your art that you created to become permanently attached to something in a kind of soundbitey or soundtrack way. Now, beyond that, obviously, you know, I think what we've seen is a lot of, a lot of musicians lean toward the left, and when people on the right, uh, you know, co-opt a, a piece of their work, they obviously don't want to be associated or seem to be endorsing that, that person. I mean, that just makes sense. Yeah, I, I actually struggle to find an example of, like, someone turning down a, 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 a Democratic candidate uh, for a song, and the only one I could find uh, was um, uh, Sam Moore from Sam and Dave Asked uh, um, Barack Obama stop playing yeah. Hold On, I'm Coming. But right. he was really gracious about it. And he was like, I, I still like you. I just don't right. want you to use the song. The left just owns cool. It was, by contrast, here's, here's Michael Stipe. Michael Stipe, uh, his quote after he heard Trump and Cruz used uh, End of the World, he said, go fuck yourselves, the lot of you, you sad, attention-grabbing, power-hungry little men. God, what did he mean? <laughs> don't mince words, Michael Stipe. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, it's, it's tough. I mean, I, you know, if I, I'll speaking for myself again, too, you know, I, I've uh, and, and, you know, to, to speak to being asked to do things, you know, by the quote unquote left, um, you know, I've been asked to, to play rallies for candidates and I've done some and, and not done others. Um, there's always a little bit of conflict that you, because even if you, you know, especially someone I think like me who does sort of, uh, I, I cherish my ability to 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 be a, uh, a social critic, you know, through music. I don't necessarily want to be seen as as cozying up too much to anybody in power, you know. So, you know, you, it, it, you do run into conflict even if it's someone who you may wind up voting for wanting to, you know, uh, uh, have your association. Part of the problem's got to be that in a lot of these cases, they're just taking the music without getting the rights. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm sure that's, I mean, well, you know, the whole happy birthday thing just happened. Nobody has to worry about that. Right, yeah. We could sing that right now if we wanted to, but we'll right. spare. We'll spare. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, but, 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 but 
there are some. Uh, I, I I know that the uh, the whole story about REM actually suing Donald Trump was was a fake story, but there is some legal issues there if uh, if things happen uh, without I think ASCAP rights being bought and paid for. Yeah, well, there, well, there. I mean, not to get too deep in the weeds of this, but there are a few uh, publishing rights organizations, ASCAP, BMI, CSAC, that that uh, administer these blanket licenses that radio stations, venues, and et cetera, pay to be able to, you know, broadcast this stuff. And there are different types of fair use for these things that I'm sure somebody could seek out. But um, I think that there, there may, you know, people will probably correct me on this if, if I'm wrong I hope they will but I think that there may be actually a, like a, a political speech component to this where an artist you know does have the right to request that um, it, something not be used I mean I guess it's I guess it's just kind of a, a dick move if the politician says nah I'm going to keep using it <laughs> it's just a needless provocation but I Am I wrong to sometimes feel a little bit of pity for some of these guys like Chris Christie loves Bruce Springsteen like loves Bruce Springsteen. There was a news story, I think, just this week, uh, unearthing like old uh, uh, posts that he put on a on a Bruce Springsteen listserv under the name Chris from wow. Mendham. No. Uh, yeah, Chris from Mendham. Wow. He, he talked about being on a plane to Bruce Springsteen in Minnesota. Uh, he obviously is like, He's obviously something of a, of a fanboy. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 you know, rock music, you know, it kind of, anytime you listen to a, a rock song, it does kind of like unlock this kind of like part of you, this youthful part of you, this truthful part of you. Maybe there's something to nurture there. Like maybe, maybe Chris's, Chris Christie's fandom of Bruce Springsteen is a sign that there's some small part of him that doesn't actually believe public school teachers should be pushed out to sea on an ice floe. Is that possible? Well, I think that's. I mean, I think that's a totally valid point. Uh, you know, I, I think, I, I think, I think a lot of things about this. I, I do. I also feel bad sometimes for people. You know, I. You don't want to, you know, have a quote unquote litmus test for who can be a fan of your music. For one thing, right? Um, I mean, it's it's uh, it's tough to tell somebody, you know, because of their party affiliations, for example, that like. You don't want them at your show. Of course, you do. And um, and in terms of of you know them then wanting to go on and you know use your music for something, well, they're they're doing this thing. They need to get psyched up. This is the music that psychs them up. Um, I do have sympathy for them in that regard, and especially because then when somebody you know who's perceived as cool, like you know what I you know Bruce Springsteen or whatever, calls out this person and tells them to. to to not use their music, that makes that, that person seem decidedly uncool. You know, then Chris Christie becomes Chris Fermendum. <laughs> you know, pimply guy, you know, posting on a posting on a, on a Springsteen message board and then gets shot down by his idols. That is kind of sad. Um, and, and what you said about, you know, finding that, like, little piece of humanity in this person, you know, I... I am of two minds about it because in some ways I, I do I do agree that you know our politics has become so you know ridiculously black and white that it, it would not be a bad idea to seek out that little bit of humanity uh, in the other. But at the same time, when you when you put it in terms of like maybe he doesn't really believe that the teachers should should be fired and you know unions should be crushed, et cetera. Well, that's a very real world. <laughs> 
that's a very real world thing that this person is doing that's actually hurting other people, and it speaks against that little piece of humanity that you might be seeking to find in that person. So you know, it's again like there's a lot of I feel a lot of conflict about this. Yeah, Chris Christie really stakes out a non-rock political position on lots of things. Like he's standing up at the debate saying, "We got to put pot sellers in jail." Yeah, that was in Colorado. Weird, yeah. That doesn't oh, that rock, yeah. man. I know. How he, I mean, Jeb Bush like came off as the actual like rock and roll guy in that debate. He, Chris Christie needs like a so, little um, Bruce Springsteen on his shoulder. Yeah, yeah. Do you think? Uh, do you think that maybe? <laughs> When the new pornographer saying, if you've got something that sheds some light, use it tonight. Are they not actually really, like, contemplating that the Arctic wildlife refuge should be opened up to drilling? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. They get a, you know what? That's that's for a CBC podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that, that that's 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 completely fair completely fair so okay you said you, you you said you're very choosy about the political rallies that you uh uh um you participate in but i wanted to point out that uh not long ago on the conan o'brien show you and amy mann performed a song for for lincoln chafee uh that's and true. at this point i don't know where our legal our legal rights lie so at this point Listeners, you will either hear the song, or or you will hear our producer Adriana describe the song to you in detail with a link to where you can see the song. But I just wanted to let you know that you did some good. Lincoln Chafee went from 0.0% to 0.4. That's according to the HuffPost pollster yeah, our, aggregation of wow. all the polls. Like, oh, you, that's fantastic. You did, a, bump. you did a solid good for, for him. He, I guess, I guess keeping, keeping in the metric system, you, you did a gram of solid right. good for, for, for him. And I just wanted to well, let you know that. that that's all we wanted, you know. That's all we wanted. We wanted to give the guys some respect. You, know? you said he looked like uh, uh, Chris Matthews on a juice cleanse. You, you disagree with that? <laughs> no, not at it was all. apt. It was apt. Not at all. Not at all. Um, is there any? Is there any Ted Leo song you can see someone from the political world? Is there anyone running well, for wait, president well, you wait. might give a song to? Oh boy. Like, would you let Marco Rubio have Ballad of the Sin Eater? <laughs> Anybody who wants to use Ballad of the Sin Eater, they're welcome to it. I mean, talk about that. That is the worst campaign song. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, you know, it's just like, it's just drum and bass and shouty vocals. It's not going to get anybody in the audience, you know, in any kind of good feeling. And then, it, you know, it just talks about traveling through conflict all over the globe. But, I, you know... I'd be interested to see what would happen if somebody, somebody used that. I could, I would use that song as a personal psych up song. <laughs> that gets the because I'm such a cynic. That gets that that really tweaks my amygdala to listen to <laughs> Battle of the Sin Eater. Um, Ted, we want to thank you for coming on, and I want to just point out to the audience that uh, 
the the both featuring Ted Leo, Amy Mann came out in 2014. If you haven't bought it, you should buy it. By the time you hear this podcast, tickets for Ted and Amy's Christmas shows in Los Angeles, San Francisco, New York, Philadelphia, and Washington, D.C. at the mighty Birchmere Music Hall will be on sale. Please go see it. Ted Leo, thank you for coming on. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Hey guys, we'll get back to the program in just a second. I just wanted to take a minute to welcome all of you into my safe space here. To thank all of you for tuning into the show and helping us to create an Inside the Beltway show for Beltway Outsiders and make it a reality. We love hearing from you. Your feedback has been such a tremendously good, positive influence on us every week. Now, you can help other people find out about this show that you're helping to build. If you are an iTunes user, please look for our show. Subscribe if you haven't. And use iTunes' widgets to rate our show and to leave us a comment. It will help people like you find this show. And we can keep building what we've got going together. So head on out to iTunes, subscribe, rate, and say hello to us and your fellow listeners. Thanks so much, guys. And now, here's something else that happened. And we're back. Once again, we're back with Arthur Delaney. Joining us now is our friend and compatriot, Kate Shepard. Thanks for having me. Oh, of course. No problem. How are you doing? I'm good. Survived the Pope Mentum. So, Pope, a lot you know. of Pope Mentum. It, what a week. How's baby? Getting giant. Did not arrive in the middle of Pope Mentum. Thank God. <laughs> Kate's having a baby, everybody. Yeah, congratulate her. She's doing a lot of good work while also having a baby. Podcasting while also for making two. a human. Yes. So, the, one of the, we, just, we spoke to Elise Foley earlier. And immigration was something of a push that uh, Pope Francis wanted to talk about while he was here. But by far the more hyped angle of the Pope's visit has been uh, his focus on the environment and climate change, owing to the encyclical he penned about uh, the environment. So he's talked to Congress. Didn't see, Actually, his speech seemed kind of light on climate, environment uh, stuff. Yeah, so climate came up in the context of his sort of greater message, which was that we need to look after the poor, we need to think about uh, compassion toward people who are vulnerable. He mentions climate and refers to the encyclical, but didn't really go into too much depth. I mean, some people thought he might talk a little bit more specifically about what the U.S. could do better in the context of international negotiations, but essentially what he just kind of did was say, cheer us on and say, U.S., you can, you can... Do a good job. It Go seems it. like he was saying, if you'd like to hear more about this, I'd refer you to my encyclical. <laughs> yeah, he actually just he quoted himself in, in, in the printed version that we got before the remarks. He had you know references to his own. That's such a Jonathan Franz and move. <laughs> I felt ripped off by that. Well, I think I, the impression I get is that he might talk about climate a little bit more at length in the UN speech that he's going to give this weekend. Uh, so maybe he's saving his best material for that. Well, he also went hard on climate in his remarks at the White House on Wednesday. Right. Like, he's he's touched on it a few times. Uh, and it really did seem like today his greater message to Congress was more on immigration and refugees. Um, the death penalty he went harder on, too, than I think a lot of people might have expected. So uh, so maybe he just wanted to spread out the climate focus well, a little more. Now, you had reported that there is a small faction of Republicans in the House that may be breaking away from the iceberg of opposition to any kind of 
climate change legislation. Do you, is the Pope going to contribute to this continuing? What's going to happen? Well, so last week, about 11 uh, House members put out a resolution saying that they should, that the House Republicans should work more constructively on climate change. Uh, 11 is a relatively small number, but it's still notable because Republicans in Congress have been pretty silent on the issue. Uh, they are led by uh, Chris Gibson from New York, who is a Catholic. So I think that the Pope certainly lends credence to the message that uh, Gibson was bringing and I think does put some pressure on Congress to do better and do more. But, I mean, will they? I mean, 11 out of all of the Republicans in the House is, is not a significant number. I think you got more guys trying to overthrow John Boehner. Yeah, and I hate to keep bringing this up, but like we were just talking, at least fully in immigration, I would say that probably the Republicans were much stronger on the immigration issue than they ever were on the environment. But they used to not be this weak on the environment. You know, I mean, 11 Republicans in the House is actually not a, not even really a, an impressive number. Because but it's like miraculous. We had a few. Yeah, I mean, you had a handful of Republicans who voted for a cap-and-trade bill in 2009. There was a point in time when it was fairly commonly accepted among even Republicans that climate change was real and that it, when it wasn't some giant hoax. So, so it's sort of like we're celebrating a return to a, a minimum level of sanity on this issue in the House. So it was not part of the speech that moved John Boehner. Everyone was watching his face because it was so full of emotion the whole time. But I don't think it was on on that part. I don't. I don't think that was it. No. The um, maybe it he, was the green ties. He did say in the speech today. He thinks mankind is contributing to climate change. I mean, he brought up the he brought up the issue. He actually didn't use the words climate change. He sort of more sure, yeah more referenced it like not quite directly but talked about the environmental degradation there's some reporters who just hit control f to find each topic in a speech were really tripped up by that i don't know anybody who does that uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well there were some guys who went out on twitter like there's no climate change in the speech you could tell they were just control f <laughs> <laughs> i mean i might control f myself every once in a while control but. f but <laughs> verify as they say <laughs> The, um, a couple other issues we wanted to talk about today with you, and this is kind of like this week in climate and environment. Uh, what is going on with the beloved grouse? So the greater sage grouse, which is one of a variety of grouse species Certainly that live in the western U.S. has historically kicked sand in the face of the lesser sage grouse. Yeah, the greater definitely has a much better name yeah. for sure. Uh, well, that's just math. A... <laughs> yeah, science. <laughs> we also have a really cool mating dance if anyone ever wants to Google that. Oh! Uh, anyway, we so... We will perform that mating dance <laughs> on next week's podcast. Um, the, the, sage, the greater sage grouse has been the subject of a decent amount of controversy in Congress. Um, there are there was a big push to protect their habitat and protect the bird species, which have been declining. Uh, one of the biggest issues affecting them is oil and gas and mining development in the West. Uh, it was before the sec- it was before the Interior Department's Fish and Wildlife Service whether or not this bird was going to get listing under the endangered species list, which would give them extra federal protections. This week, they announced that they are not going to grant those protections, and that uh, there will continue to be federal efforts to maintain habitat in the West, but that they're not going to get any special extra treatment. Ooh, sorry, sage grouse. Worst week in Washington. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably, probably. Uh, besides anyone who <laughs> had to travel downtown today. Um, <clears throat> the uh, the other big news this week uh, was, I guess it finally became 
appropriate for Hillary Clinton to weigh in on the Keystone Pipeline. She decided to weigh in as the Pope was landing in Washington, and everyone was watching that instead. So, so it was like it was like a it was a it was a uh, Pope landing news dump. Are, are you <laughs> suggesting the timing of that release was not strate- was it was strategic? Or unstrategic. I'm not sure which one. Depends on depends on how you feel about the issue. But Clinton has been avoiding this subject for years now. She like would not give an a give an opinion one way or another and said that she was going to wait for the President Obama and Secretary Kerry to decide and then in the middle of a speech in Des Moines this week just drops in that oh hey, I, I oppose the Keystone Excel pipeline. What do you think what do you think anything authentically changed? I realize that we're Turning on. I don't think so. I mean, everyone is waiting for the administration to just put out put out a decision. Uh, in, a, in a lot of ways, Hillary's sort of late to this among the Democratic candidates. O'Malley, Sanders were already pretty clear that they were against it. So I, I don't know that it really shifts the conversation. Uh, but I guess it is probably notable to Keystone anti-Keystone activists that the you know front runner in the Democratic Party has now said that she's against it. People keep saying if they don't build the pipeline, they'll just have to put all the oil in a bunch of boats and it'll be a bigger waste of resources. Trains, probably trains. Is, yeah. is that a smart take or is that dumb? Well, transporting by trains is is more expensive. So it changes the cost curve. And so it probably, it, it, in most likelihood, makes it less less viable for oil companies to develop the tar sands and ship it because it would be more costly for them to do it by drain. I thought they were already pretty good at the tar sands thanks to such things as hydraulic fracturing. The question with the tar sands is getting it to refineries and to ports. So this is why they want to build this massive pipeline that would take it all the way down to Texas, which is where they have all these refineries. So right now there there are some pipelines. This would either give them a much bigger pipeline, but or without it, they'd have to figure out other ways to get it there. In months previous, uh, there have been there's been some talk uh, about perhaps the window on the Keystone XL being a profitable enterprise had shut. Is there any truth to that? Well, given that oil prices have been pretty low recently, uh, there is less incentive to develop those hard sands because we've got other options. Uh, oh, that's what I was trying to say. Like I thought we were good. Like why would we need this? I thought we were getting the oil. I mean, we're good right now, I mean, generally, because they, uh, there's an abundant sources of oil, but it's, you know, the markets change, and there's an interest in having that available in the long term. Yeah, it's good that oil never runs out. It's very favorable for us. Yeah, it's terrific that we have an unlimited supply of oil. Pretty awesome, I think. Um, <clears throat> do you th- um, – Hillary Clinton's uh, relative, you know, quietitude on this issue – is odd, right? Because she was a Secretary of State. They did have a hand. The State Department did have a hand in ultimately approving or disapproving of the the pipeline. So it's weird that she kind of like it's a little Scott Walkery, to be honest with you. She sort of stepped in it when she was Secretary of State because uh, they had sort of they had just started the process of considering the pipeline permit application, and she made remarks uh, as Secretary of State that they were inclined to support it, which of course angered a whole lot of people who thought they hadn't even you know hadn't really started the consideration process, <laughs> let alone actually adequately considered all of the the different elements that uh, they should consider in granting that permit. So she, since then, she really hasn't said anything at all, and her, her statement this week about her campaign said they basically waited because she sort of had special information as someone who had been Secretary of State and that she didn't really want to weigh in and and sway the process, you know, now that she's outside of it. Donald Trump 
has sort of famously led this parade and the immigration issue that's been extremely hostile to Mexicans. Would you say the Democrats are sort of doing the same right now to Canadians? <laughs> I think Canadians think that. I mean, the I mean, every week there's some new prediction about when they're going to render a Keystone decision. The the latest prediction is that they're going to wait till after the Canadian election. But uh, you know, it seems like we're probably going to make them angry. There can be no doubt, however, that the Pope disapproves of the lesser, the greater Sage Grouse decision. I think the Pope is definitely on the side of the lesser Sage Grouse. Wait, the lesser or the greater? Oh, wait, are the two no, the sage pope, grouses the, going against each other? No, but the, the pope looks after the lesser among us. <laughs> I don't <laughs> think he cares true. about the greater. That is true. That's true. The greater sage grouse can take care of itself. <laughs> yeah, the lesser sage grouse can fit through the eye of a needle. Sage grouse needs to work harder. Once again... We're going to take one of our periodic dives into what most media organizations consider the big, the big story of the year, which is the 2016 presidential race. We, we, we acknowledge it's happening, but we don't necessarily – we're not slaves to it is what I'm saying. Yeah. Are we not? Yeah, we're not. Are we, are we not? I'm glad that that's a tactic that we're taking. We're completely – we're indentured servants to it, but we're not slaves. So joining me, you already heard him, got Lauren Weber, editor of the morning email. It's a party. Thanks for having me. Sure thing. And, of course, Arthur Delaney – Editor of the late night email. Thank you. <laughs> that was HuffPost Hill. Hill. Yeah. So we got Sounds email. Like a jazz got, we got, we got newsletters. I got their newsletter, secondly. Newsletters galore. Um, but, you know, um, the consequences of this week in 2016 almost got snuck up on us because out of the, maybe not necessarily out of the blue, maybe there's a little cyan up in that thing, mm-hmm. but a little bit surprising. Scott Walker. I was surprised. Up and I was surprised He's too. Got, Jason, we technically, we technically we said earlier in the day. We sort of called it. We, we sort of called it. it earlier in the day. Yeah, earlier in the day we did sort of call it, but, but I was still a little, I was still a little surprised. Scott Walker, uh, days after a poll came in that showed him Wow, at 0.5%. A poll. Now, the conventional wisdom after the previous week's debate had been that Scott Walker was toast because he was just kind of boring and he had needed some sort of breakout in order to continue. But he wasn't as low in the polls in the aggregate as some of the you know the guys at the kids table debate. No, that's true. So it was still kind of surprising. It was also it's an incredible fall because Scott Walker was that guy kind of, you know, I don't know, back in the dog days of summer where even before before and yeah. more even so before before Donald Trump really was it was him, Rubio and Jeb that were the front runner. Oh, yeah, when the sun was hot. When the sun was hot. <laughs> more importantly than just being the national front runner was the fact that in Iowa he had staked such a big lead in the pre Primary polls. Yeah, to back course, out now. That's what pre-primary poll means. In May, it means it doesn't mean shit. Uh, but he came on <laughs> with a barn-burning speech in Iowa mm-hmm. at the at the um, I think it was the Freedom and Family yeah. Summit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and shot right to the top. And he was really a fan favorite. I think at the first debate, again, I didn't see the first debate, but I'm told he was standing toward the center, maybe second or third place behind Jeb, right? Yeah, I mean, he was standing in the center. He didn't have much to say the first debate as well. I, I would say he disappeared even more the second debate, but he didn't really show up the first debate either. Well, the de- those days when the sun was hot 
and Scott Walker was also hot were pre-Trump days. Exactly. So do we do we subscribe? There there are there is a theory that Scott Walker might still be doing okay if Donald Trump had never come into the race. I don't see why he quit. I mean, you can't win if you quit. Rule number one. That's, just that's laid, accurate. I don't know why he didn't just lay low. Well, there's another, obviously there's another theory that he's just not a good candidate. He I just not. Thought he wasn't ready. He was 0% ready. You know, the problem is if you're not willing to talk, which basically was his MO recently, then you're not going to make news and then no one's going to vote for you. Yeah, in the weeks leading up to this, there were a number of stories that came out about all kinds of topics that Scott Walker would come out, take a position on, a few days later, reverse the position. Yeah. Sometimes he'd come out and say, I'm not taking a position on that. Day later, he'd take a position. Never knew what the guy was doing. He had one donor in particular, uh, seemingly micro guy named Hubbard, yes. seemingly micromanaging him. Advisors at sixes and sevens not knowing what to do. There was that story last week about a fallout in his own campaign changes coming. There's a story this week about another story that was going to come out. There's a story about the story is very mysterious. Yeah, yeah that was the Liz Mayer tweet, right? Yeah, yeah ridiculous. Teasing, teasing yeah. some sort of campaign drama. Now, uh, Liz Mayer, a one-time Walker helper. Yes, friend of the show. C- consultant yes. who had a tweet storm analyzing the yep. carcass of the Walker campaign. One of her, downfall. My favorite of her observations was that he had a, uh, I guess, Midwestern tendency to immediately say yes whenever someone asks him a question. So I'm so from the Midwest. Was, do you feel like I automatically say yes to you whenever you ask me a question? No, not at all. But no. that, you know, what I'm do just, you think? I, no, that's not See, what I just, do. <laughs> just proved it. Just proved it. Yeah. Well, whatever the whatever is the reason for his habit of doing that. Mayor was like, he needed to be trained out of that because when he was asked, for instance, you know, would you support birthright citizenship? He was like, well, yeah. And, and, <laughs> not a good move. Not and, a good move. And they're move. like, Scott Walker, how about a border on our, uh, how about a wall on our border with Canada? Oh, yeah, we should look at that. <laughs> like, no, dude, you don't have to say yes. <laughs> Got to give a little bit of a measured answer. You know, when you're negotiating with Putin, can you say yes to everything he says? No, no, that's not what <laughs> yeah, you want. He that's just, not what you want. I said, I said on HuffPost Live, I've never seen a guy melt in the Klieg lights. Never. Of a presidential election like that. He's too especially, green. Especially that you were doing so well. He's so too green. So, so maybe, he, maybe it's column A, column B. Part of it is he's a bad candidate. Part of it because Donald Trump came along. So now we're left in a primary. And this is kind of extraordinary. Again, your uh, non-establishment figures, Trump, Fiorina, Carson, all accruing to the top for the time being. We acknowledge that there could be some discovery, scrutiny, decline going on. Let's hope so. Uh, but the only, um, I think the only in the in the in the poll, the same poll that put uh, Scott Walker in his in his dirt nap. <laughs> the only, that was the death nap. <laughs> the only the only candidate who was pulling in double digits, and you could still call. An elected official or someone with a political career is Marco Rubio at 11, and then everyone else is in single digits. Um, one of our readers, our listeners, Charles, uh, asked the show, uh, do you think that the uh, this uh, there's something more to it than, than, than we've been talking about? Do you think that the GOP base is turning on the donor class, the GOP. Do you think that what's driving this is maybe more of a 
anxiety and frustration over the fact that middle class economics has gone head over head over tea kettle, and people don't want to hear hear from these billionaire funded candidates. Look, I mean, I think the deal is is that there's an entire Republican elected House and Senate, and there's still not anything getting done. So maybe they're thinking that you is it their outside. fault? Nothing's getting done. No, the president I mean, still has a veto. I don't know, but maybe maybe if you're a Republican based voter, you're thinking, hey, outside candidate, maybe he'll or she will be the guy or girl to get it done. The tension between Republican money bags and base voters is a familiar one. I don't see how that dynamic is really being disrupted or changed. Uh, Marco Rubio does appear to be sort of hanging out and waiting for some of this insanity to blow over. He's, he's, sitting, he's sitting pretty above the fray. He is. So you think this is just a simple measure of perhaps some sort of like anti-establishment sentiment, temporary as it may be. Well, Walker was doing badly in the polls. So, you know, that's sort of a proxy for what the base voters thought of him. But he was also doing badly among the donors. So, that's true. And, and, and Although the, he was maybe holding on for that Koch money, but or the Coke money. but Coke know. money was always going to go somewhere. It didn't necessarily need, mean to go to him. Yeah, but, you know, maybe he thought it would. Well, they were. I, it's, it seemed like they may have been in somewhat agreement on him. It seemed like he was their frontrunner. He, well, I mean, famously, he's the guy that took the fake call, the prank call from the guy from the Buffalo Beast uh, pretending to be one of the Koch brothers. Oh, my gosh. I've never heard this story. This sounds great. Oh, boy. I was at the height of the Wisconsin protests. I I was there when he then held a, a, a press conference to answer for this. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, whoops. Uh, that yes. Did you say yes? <laughs> they they pretended to be the Koch brothers on the phone. Like you've got to do something about these protesters. And he was like, Yeah, maybe we'll try some funny business. Like, yeah, Ian oh, from the Buffalo word. Beast. Uh, uh, did it was it was very funny. Uh, it was it was kind of a little morning zoo escapade, and I think the guys from the Buffalo Beast were surprised as anybody that, that they were they, able they pulled it to off. Walker on the phone. But they literally was like, "Yeah, it's a Coke brother," and the sector is like, "I'll put you right through." <laughs> <laughs> so that goes to show. You know, the thing is, is that like someone called me up saying I'm a Coke brother. I'd probably pick up the phone too. You oh know? my gosh, I'm trying to imagine a conversation between Jason and the Coke brothers. It would be. And it would just really just be such a wonderful thing to behold. Yeah, maybe. You don't know. You don't know. I have, I have a message. It's not that interesting. Can, can I have phone. some money? No. I would probably be like, could you just text me, Coke Brothers? <laughs> <laughs> what, the, what the fuck are you calling me? I mean, who uses the How phone How old anymore? are you? <laughs> you guys are some old, dumpy men, but come on, just text me. Just text me. <laughs> oh, dear God. You know, send me, send me some Coke emojis. Some Coke emojis. <laughs> Coke emojis. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like talking on the phone. Sorry. Sorry to everyone who wants to call me. All right. Well, um, there you have it. Scott Walker. Surprise, surprise. Not going to be our president. Good luck to those who are remaining. So that's what happened this week. This podcast was produced, edited, and engineered by Adriana Ucero and Peter James Callahan with technical assistance from Christine Canetta and spiritual guidance from Caitlin Bolguki, who bakes the most delicious cakes. I'm Jason Lincolns. This week, we are joined by musician and raconteur Ted Leo, along with Huffington Post reporters Arthur Delaney, Elise Foley, Kate Shepard, and Lauren Weber. So That Happened is available on iTunes. Check us out in the iTunes store. And while you're there, please look for the Huffington Post's whole family of podcasts. Subscribe to them and tell your friends about them. If there's something you'd like to hear us talk about, send an email right now to so that happened at HuffingtonPost.com. As always, we thank you very much for listening and we miss you already.